Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, Mr. Barker. What a privilege it is to have Mr. Barker introduce me every week. Uh, you can't watch or uh, watch 24 hours of radio or, or television or listen to 24 hours of radio without hearing him at least 36 times. He is uh, he's one of the top voice talents in the country, in fact, in the world, and uh, I'm honored to have him. He was very kind. He liked what we did and cut me a massive break. I could never afford the kind of talent that he has, so it's an honor to be here. Well, you've reached Sundays with Dr. Sean, and uh, on Wednesdays we have the Collision of Faith and Politics with the Ninja Pastor, but today... We are doing Sundays with Dr. Sean, and what that is is a commercial-free message. Uh, it's a church message. We're unapologetic uh, about where we come from, and, and so you may have caught this. I see we have some new listeners. You may have caught this uh, kind of just looking around Blog Talk Radio. We're looking at the blogs, and uh, our uh, website is theninjapastor.com or drseangreener.com, and the Ninja Pastor blog is on there. There's also Listen. Go to the listen side. You can listen to literally, I guess, thousands of hours of broadcasting. So we're uh, we're pleased to provide that for you. Uh, you will be asked for your email. You don't have to give it if you don't want to, but if you want to give your name and email, we'll put you on the uh, email list. We'd love to have that. And also, there's a comment section uh, for tonight's message under the Ninja Pastor blog. You can put your comments there, and we'd love to have that also on uh, Blog Talk Radio. There's also comments there on our show page. We'd love to have your comments there. You can follow me on Facebook, uh, or you can follow me and or you can follow me at the Ninja Pastor, and we'd love to have you on on Twitter. And I'm on Instagram too, but I think that's only pictures. So I do a little bit of photography for fun. So anxiety and committal, and I think we can agree on this one thing. There's there's nowadays you know in the political climate there's an awful lot of disagreement. People are disagreeing on a lot, a lot of things. And that's sad. It's unfortunate. But it's true uh, that people are more disagreeable now. But part of that is people are under a tremendous amount of stress. There was just recently an article uh, that talked about, the, the author talked about the instance of divorce within politically active families where the, the uh, husband and wife came from different political spectrums. And right now, there's a lot of fighting and, and uh, fussing back and forth, and, and uh, it's just a difficult time. But that's a lot, a lot of stress. That's a lot of stress right now in a lot of different people. 
the difference is right now what we're experiencing is linear stress. Um, Dr. James Lohr wrote a great book, uh, he, really, literally the best book on stress I've ever read in my life. Uh, he was also a professor and really phenomenal teacher of what he does. And Dr. Lohr, um, L-O-E-H-R is how you spell that, uh, Stress for Success, if you ever want to get that book. It's from, from a lot of years ago, but it's incredibly relevant. And Dr. Lohr identified through his research team the difference between oscillating and linear stress. Right, oscillating stress is life stress. It goes like this, and we go in, we go out. We go in, we go out. It's just like lifting weights, right? You you lift weights and then you rest, right? You have the stress motion and then you have the rest motion. The rest motion is every bit as important as the stress motion. But here's the thing: linear stress, such as what war fighters, uh, combat folks, folks in the combat zone, what they deal with. Uh, that's linear stress. It never really goes away, even when you get home, because you take with you uh, the experience of combat. So few people have ever had that experience of combat. So it's very difficult for, for regular folks to understand. And that's why uh, warfighters kind of stick to stick together. They stick to their own because nobody else really understands them, and, and that's unfortunate. We're doing a little better. I think we're we're trying harder to understand warfighters, but linear stress. And there's a lot more folks, there are a lot more folks running around with linear stress right now than oscillating stress. You know, oscillating stress, you know, you get that, you get that rise, you get to that peak of stress, you think, oh, my lands, I can't handle this anymore. And then what happens? You get on that other side and you start to coast and you go, wow, that feels good. And then you restore and you renew and you prepare. And you learn from that big peak, and you strengthen, and then you go in that upswing again, and you say, well, I've been here before. I can handle this. And you manage it. That's oscillating stress. That makes us stronger. It's actually better for us. We get stressed so much, though, that what eventually happens is when you're under stress so much in this linear stress, no matter what you have going on in your life, the death in your family with two dear ladies here who lost their husbands uh, not that long ago, we we have people from all walks of life here who have had cancer or are fighting cancer now. Uh, I know that there's um, several people. Welcome to Tap Into the Truth. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm honored to have you listening and to the Cahalan family. They know all about linear stress. They know about linear stress. My buddy Chris Cahalan, 46 years old, turns up with uh, pancreas cancer. And that boy's a healthy boy. You all saw him. Even fighting cancer, he's a stud, you know. And uh, got beautiful children, a beautiful wife, wonderful people, and and um, busy guy, superstar softball player, really brilliant guy, self-employed businessman, uh, just one of the most wonderful human beings I've ever met in my life. He's if he lived in Delaware still, I, he and I would pal around all the time. In fact, his wife Jessica would say uh, that Sean's got to go. She would have linear stress from too much Sean. But I really, really love that dude and, and love his family. So. But, you know, when you're in something like that, you don't ever get a break, do you? But here's the thing. When you're under the stresses of life, there's all these things pounding away at you, uh, and, 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 it, and it becomes more of a linear sort of stress. Stress comes out as it builds up and builds up and builds up. See, I have a valve. I have a, a pretty serious brain injury. For those of you who don't know, I'm 100% disabled. You're like, yeah, we've been listening to you. We, that is very clear. But, but I was in a horrible car crash, and I suffered a pretty serious brain injury. 
And for the longest period, uh, the physical injuries uh, I had always thought would heal. So I kept thinking every day, I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better, I'm going to get better, because that's what I've always done. Anything that ever happened to me, and I've had terrible things happen to me, and I've always gotten better. I've always come through. But this ended up being a very linear stress because it didn't go away. It just got worse, and it's getting worse every day. And so when we experience that, like, for instance, today I dislocated my wrist, just leaning over, putting my hand to steady myself, pop, and you could hear it across the street. And so we had to pop that back in. It's really sore today, but um, but that's you know linear things. But then as as I started to accept and realize what I was dealing with, it became less of a linear thing uh, and more of an oscillating thing. So in how I looked at it, but one of the areas that I struggle now that I didn't struggle before the crash was or is I didn't really have that bad of a temper before. I didn't have um, I, I could handle a lot of stress and I could just really, it didn't, I could do five different things at the same time and do all five things really, really well. I was just blessed. It wasn't anything special. I just was blessed with that gift and talent. God gave me what I needed to do what I do. All that said to say this, um, my valve, that steam valve pops a lot sooner now. Of course, I have this life-threatening uh, hypertension. They don't even—they don't know why. They can't figure it out. And so I guess that might contribute to you have the brain injury, you have that going. So that creates something where I get a little—I I reach the end of my tolerance much, much faster. And I don't like that about me because you know what? Uh, I never was that guy before. I was always a real peaceful and easygoing guy. I could always see the, the beauty in everything and, and help people through a bunch of stuff um, and never really would get to me. But that's changed now. So what happens is we a lot of times disguise stress. It comes out, hey, brother, it comes out as anger. Why are you so mad all the time? Well, I'm not mad all the time. What are you talking about? You keep asking me why I'm mad, I'm going to get mad, right? We do that. We do that all the time. The sad fact of the matter is is that we're really not mad. We're not angry. We're stressed. We're worried. We have anxiety. But it comes out as comes out as anger, and you know what's next, don't you? You know, as soon as that happens, whether we acknowledge it or not, and and this is exactly what happens. By the way, thank you to everybody in chat for joining us. I won't be able to type too much today, uh, just because it's on different levels. Put your comments and converse with each other in the audience. I love that. But here's the thing: this is what happens when we're stressed, and our stress comes out as anger. Our families. And those around us, those we love, our friends, they perceive the anger before they perceive the stress. They feel that first. They, they see that first. They realize that first, even though really what it is is stress, and it's too much stress. But they see the anger. They feel the anger, and they hurt. And And then guess what happens is... We're on like Donkey Kong at that point, to quote my friend Mark Kerr, and now everybody's mad, and no one knows why. Nobody knows why. Why are you mad? I don't know why. I just You're mad. Now I'm mad, right, because it's such fun. Everybody loves being mad. Stress, anxiety, anger, worry, mad. The Bible says be anxious for nothing, but what do we do? Nowadays, we're anxious for everything. 
and and we can all agree i mean this is this is something that we don't have to argue about this is something like i said in the open we can all agree there's a lot to be worried about nowadays in the natural but the bible says be anxious for nothing but what do we do we're anxious for everything and then this begs the question why why are we so stressed why are we so anxious why are we so angry i'm going to give you seven steps to less anxiety less anger less stress and with less of all that you know what you get you get more joy you get more peace you get more relaxation your soul will finally be ready for the life that god has for you and the joy god has for the ones you love because you're finally at peace in this tumultuous world so are we ready matthew 6 25 through 34 uh and i think this is the is this either the esv or the or the uh, complete jewish bible but the pericope you guys know what a pericope is in a bible it's that bold heading that says what the little section is about that's called a pericope i went to uh i went to seminary and that's why i was telling you that just so you know i went to seminary because that's what they taught me i took a note one note in seminary that's what i was doing all that time do not be anxious. That's what the pericope says in most Bibles. Do not be anxious before this. These are the word words of Yeshua. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, you know, his eye is on the sparrow. I'm going to interrupt myself. One of my mother's favorite songs, she can really make the piano talk on his eye is on the sparrow. Doesn't read a lick of music, but boy, that woman can make a piano talk. And uh, it's so amazing his eye is on the sparrow guess what it comes from this verse and which of you this is verse 27 by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life and you know some some uh translations actually add in can add a cubit to their height some translations actually do that but i said span of life why because you know what we know that we have a beginning of our life here on earth in the natural but then we have an end of our life and you know a lot of stress that people struggle with a lot of times is fear of dying i had the privilege of sitting with my mother what a what a wonderful testimony she is her faith one of my prized possessions which i i keep put away are her bible school notes handwritten bible college notes she went to bible school she toted me as a little tiny baby boy uh and I was small. I was really, really small. And she would tote me there, and she would she would do Bible college, and she'd do notes and everything. It was amazing. Raising five kids, helping another family who uh, had hard times uh, feeding them and cleaning their clothes and everything, everything she did, cleaning houses, cleaning our house, cooking our food, doing our life. It's amazing. And she did all that. It's just absolutely amazing. A testament. It was a testament to her her fortitude. But she really wanted to do it, and she did great. And she worked very hard at it. But, you know, I had the privilege of sitting with my mom the other day, and she ended up in the hospital, thought she might be having a little heart attack. And um, 
you know, she's got such a big heart. She's a very, very petite person, but she got such a big heart. She could never have. She's already had several heart attacks. She could never have a little heart attack. She'd have a big heart attack because of the size of her heart. But here's the thing. I sat with her, and we talked and talked and talked. And um, she said, you know, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not, I'm not chicken of dying. I just want to go in my sleep. I know I'm kind of a chicken about how I want to die, but I just want to go in my sleep. I don't want a bunch of fussing and fighting. Some of you in here have dealt with that. Long illnesses, tough, terrible illnesses, and God bless you. It's a hard thing. Some of you are dealing with long uh, illnesses, and it's a tough thing. And those that are listening, I know my, my good friend, Chris Cahalan, he's, he's, he just finished his last round. He wrung out of chemo. He, he, uh, he really kicked it. And uh, we're really excited for him, and we just pray his numbers come back good and that he's in remission. My good buddy, uh, my brother, Eric, uh, believes he's in remission now. So we're, we're praying for that. We're praying for that. And then, then when that happens for sure, then we can, we can start uh, shopping at Walmart for a kidney for him because he needs one. Fan of life, though. My mom said, I'm not afraid of death. How, how many of you in here, be honest, are afraid of death? You can raise your hand. And in the radio audience. So, so really, we don't have anybody raise their hand. These are people. And it's interesting, everywhere I ask that question, you know, I'm interested in the type of people uh, that answer, yes, I'm very afraid of it. I, what do I, why would I want death? Right? Sometimes single moms of, of teenagers, they, they're like, yes, I'm afraid of death. I need my kid. To, I need to raise my child. I need to raise my children. Now, our kids are old enough. I pass, you know, it's my, my son back there is going to, going to go, uh, so uh, you remember dad told me he was giving me all of his guns, right? You, you did hear that? And then everybody's going to go, and you remember that Lily's getting all the books. 5,200 some books. God help her. She'd read every one. They'll cart them down to Georgia for her. That's something she and I share, but Duel and I share our love of guns and knives and watches and all that stuff too. But it's a span of life, and, and sometimes we're terribly afraid of the end of life because we don't know how it's going to happen. And so we're afraid. I can stand here, hand to heaven, and tell you I have zero fear of dying. I can tell you also, however you want to look at how this sounds, it's fine with me if you think it's weird. Um, I've been weird before. I'll be weird again. Uh, I want to die in a heroic way. I have no interest in dying, crying for my life. I have no interest in begging uh, for freedom. I have no interest in being on my knees uh, at the, the, the if these if these ISIS folks reach out and touch me, I'm going to reach out and touch them first as much as I can. I have a lot of ammo and I am more than willing to use it. But I'm not going out on my knees. Plus, I don't look good in orange jumpsuits, so they're not slimming. So for me, that's an issue. I wear a lot of black. But we have a span of life. All of us do. All of us do. Every single one of us have a span of life. Life. Those who have been sick with cancer and other dreaded diseases, you know that that's a thing. When someone says to you, you have cancer, first thing you go through, through your mind is, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? I know you, first thing you thought was, who can I bless with this, Father? Thank you for using me. That's touching. That's, man, that's some, whew, that's some powerful faith right there, folks. That's some powerful faith. But we all have a span of life. We're, we're not going to be transported unless Heavenly Father comes back. Unless Yeshua 
rides on that horse with that sword and the flames before it's our, our time to go into the grave. We all have the end. And why, this is verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Now, you can see, obviously, looking at me, I'm not terribly anxious about clothing. I'm not the best dresser in the world. I used to be, but now I have no concept of what matches, what doesn't match. Half the time I walk around, I've got stuff buttoned. I apologize if I forget to zip up my zipper. My collar's usually all jacked up. Uh, I just don't have that concept anymore. I just don't have it. The whole matching is lost on me. I used to be a fairly snazzy dresser, but those days are over. A lot less stress, linear stress. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Now, we all know this, but we most often refuse to accept it. It says when they don't worry about how they grow. They, they don't worry. The lilies of the field have no worry about how they grow. Here's the thing, though. That word grow is very important because if we're not, we have a doctor in the audience, if we're not growing, we are dying. If we're not growing, we're dying. You know, my mom, so precious, uh, she she and I talked about, she feels like it's just one thing after another now. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just a, a mess to deal with. And, and all the stress. And, of course, she's worried about her family. And we're going to be all right. And, and all the different things. You know, you worry about your family because we love our family. But, you know, not growing is dying. And, and she feels like she's not growing anymore. They neither toil nor spin, verse 29. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? He knows everything we need. He knows the clothes we need. He knows the food we need. I watched a video today. Uh, it's, it's, it's millions of hits. Uh, it's gone viral. Uh, they, they put this decorative piano, the studio piano, uh, out in this, uh, I think it was uh, somewhere in Florida, and they put it out sort of in this common square area under the shade uh, just for anybody to play. It's a public piano. And a homeless man, a very obviously homeless man, was very clear that he was battling many addictions. Um, he was very thin, clearly undernourished, clearly had some issues. You could Mental health issues, you could really discern that very easily. But he sat down to this piano that just appeared one day and started playing the ivory right off the keys. It was absolutely beautiful, and people were stunned by it. And we say, well, that man, you know, we need to do something for him. And you know what? To the extent that we can, we do. I think it's silly in this country that folks have to worry. One of the stresses they have is, will I be able to eat? Isn't that something? American restaurants throw away more food than many other nations produce. We throw away more food as families in America. You know, uh, for whatever reason, this government, uh, this administration wants to make it illegal to grow your own food, catch your own rainwater. Um, and, you know, that's a great de-stressor to grow your own food and to save back your own water so you know if something bad happens, you've always got a supply. That's a de-stressor. But, you know, the Heavenly Father knows we need everything that we need down to the littlest thing. You know, we don't need a lot of the things that we think we need. 
we don't need a lot of the things we think we need. You know, I, I got caught up as a younger man. I got on that sort of treadmill I wanted to I wanted to achieve, I wanted to accomplish, I wanted to leave my mark on this world. So I thought acquiring things might be a good way to go. You see, because when you acquire things, especially as a pastor, I had rejected that call at that time, but as a pastor, you know, people say, well, look at his ministry. His ministry is really growing, and God's really blessing his ministry. You know, he's got, but I'll tell you this, Joel Osteen, he's blessed blessed, and blessed, and he's got more than I think 100 people could ever want, and that guy's not preaching the gospel. So you can't ever look at that and say that, that that one equals the other. But for verse 33, we we know all this when we 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 know all this, don't we? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Let me stop there for a second. What do tomorrows mean? Tomorrows mean life. Tomorrows, when we think about there being a tomorrow, that means we're alive one more day. That means life. That means the extension of it. You see, the finality of death is what scares us. The not knowing how it's going to happen, that scares us. But boy, is it ever final for those who have, who have no hope in Christ. It certainly is final. But here in the natural, even as followers of the way, even as those who have been set apart, who have been sanctified and cleansed by the blood of the cross and the empty grave, we, we even, don't know how it's going to happen. We don't know when. We don't know where. But tomorrows always mean life. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I thought this was an interesting saying. Glass with anxiety. Glass with anxiety. What a strange Norwegian expression this is. What does it mean? Many years ago, these words accompanied a package sent from Norway to England. It's a, a, a Norwegian and, and sort of British way of expression, glass with anxiety. And what that means nowadays, what this was intended to indicate then, and what it means to us now, is that these contents were indeed fragile. And the sender feared, look, if I don't warn these people around this package with an eyesight of the package, if I don't warn them, hey, fragile, handle with care, very fragile, handle with extreme care, something might happen to the package. But isn't that an interesting way to put it? Glass with anxiety. Is there not a lesson here for Christians, for followers of the way? Many of us could rightly be labeled very fragile Christians with lots and lots of anxiety. We could. We could be labeled that. But you know what? There doesn't need to be a big label or banner. We don't need to wear something on our shirt like a big button on our shirt saying, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of the way. I have a lot of anxiety. I'm very fragile. It shows in our face, our furrowed brow. It's all too plainly stamped on our wrinkled forehead and our frowning resting face. Although the apostolic injunction is this in Philippians 4, 6, this is the ESV, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. How many of you have wanted a job? How many have ever applied for a job? Right? Every, we all have. We've all. Some people here say, I don't want no job. I want a part of that. <laughs> I love honest people. I love honest people. 
But, you know, when you apply for a job, you say, I have a money need. I need money. I need what you're really saying is I need security. I need less stress. I need less anxiety. Father, what job will you have for me? Have any of you ever gotten a job that you knew you had no business in the world ever getting that job? I'm going to raise my hand. Boy, I'll tell you, I have gotten jobs before I thought, whew, somebody's going to lose their job over hiring me. (laughs) Somebody doesn't know what they're doing. I just got lucky. But I didn't get lucky. God saw fit. He made a way when there was no way. Isn't that amazing? He made a way when there was no way. Some of us have said, I need a job and I need it now. And we aimed really low. Not that there's any anything wrong with with uh, every type of job. Do it do it with uh, joy. Do it with happiness. Do it with excellence. Every job, whether you're a clerk or you're a physician or 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 I was going to say lawyer, but then I don't want to go backwards. Um, but uh, but you know, do every job. But you know what? God says no. You can't have that clerk job. And you say, man, I can't even get a clerk job. But then all of a sudden, he opens up a school teacher job. And and you say, I'm not even qualified for that job. How am I how am I going to get this job? And he opens that up and he spreads it wide for you. And he makes everything happen in a way you just simply cannot imagine. Think, my land's how to get so lucky. God finds a way. He finds a way. He makes a way when we can't see it. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Wow, do we forget that thanksgiving part. We say a little bit of we 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 pray for years. We whine and moan. Lord, I need you to bless me. I need this blessing. I need this thing right here. And He gives us better than we asked for. Much like the Iran deal, and 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 they, Iran got better than they asked for. But but they didn't ask for all that stuff. We just gave it to them. I don't know if you know. But right, so we we go we go in. We think. There's a commercial on television, I think, uh, some about unicorns and, and something. And, and uh, this woman goes in and says, the guy says, you're hired. And she says, well, I want five weeks vacation. And uh, he says, oh, we don't do that here. And the unicorn comes busting in. And, okay, five weeks, sure. Six weeks? It was like six weeks. That's how God does sometimes. Sometimes God just confounds the wise. He, he, he does stuff that we just shake our head. But we all too quickly forget the Thanksgiving part. Boy, we'd have more joy in our day in the blessing that he gave us if we remembered that thanksgiving part more. Have you worshipped the Lord for giving you shoes? Have you worshipped the Lord for giving you clothing? Have you worshipped the Lord for feeding you? Have you worshipped the Lord for providing a job or retirement or a safe home or good friends? Or people to tell you the truth about you. Boy, I'll tell you what. We can jettison a lot of toxic people in our life, right? We do that. That's not good to have toxic people around us. But let's not describe someone as toxic who is telling the truth about us. And if they're the only one telling the truth about us, what do we call them? We say, you're mean. You talk so mean. Don't cast that person aside. That's the person that's telling you the truth about you. That's the person that loves you the most, that's willing to risk losing you as a friend. Don't cast them aside so fast. But it says that's how we're to bring our, our, our request to God. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. That's how we're to do it. Some obey this command in certain circumstances only, while others reverse the reading. They live as though they were to be anxious for everything. 
The Lord Yeshua wishes his children to carry their worries and anxieties to him and then leave them with him. You know, I used to lead a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. It was a big ministry. as folks come from all over the place, and it was really, really amazing to watch it grow. Wasn't it something? It was really, really something. Um, it was a blessing. Great leaders uh, that worked with me, and, and it, was, it was a powerful thing. It was a really neat thing to see the power of God moving in that case. And people from all hurts, habits, and hang-ups, every kind of hurt, habit, and I, and I mean, we had some terrible stuff. We had a guy come in one time, and I, I, one of the men's groups, you know, I would go and sit in with the different groups, and I sat down. I saw this fella come in uh, with this woman, and uh, she was very apprehensive about leaving him. Uh, there with this men's group, and she kept looking at the door, and I was thinking to myself, whoo, something's going on here now. The old police officer and and uh, and executive protection guy bristled right up, and I thought, what well, good thing I carry. I knew something was up. I saw that dude. I said, something serious is up here. I'll have you know that he murdered someone, and he was awaiting any minute to be taken into custody. He knew they were on his trail. They knew he knew, but he wanted to get things right with God, and he did. And I had the pleasure of leading that man to Christ. And I said, before you place your faith in Christ, you need to understand right here and right now, you need to atone for what you've done. You need to atone for what you've done. You're most assuredly going to jail, and you need to face that fact. You're not going to run from the law anymore. He goes, I know. I just know I need to do this. And not long, he was in the paper. Got in a fight over drugs. He killed the guy. And he meant to kill him. He was very honest about it. He said, I did mean to kill him. I was in a fit of rage. And I did kill him. He's doing life in prison now. But you know, he's only going to be in prison till he shuts his eyes the last time. And the shackles of every hurt, habit, and hang-up that ever bound him to a life that was not what God intended, suddenly he will be transported when he closes his eyes the last. He will be made perfect in the image and eyes of Christ and will worship with him forever. The Father, I used to give this illustration all the time, though, at this at this uh, Celebrate Recovery. And one of these days I might start that up again. Um, I gave this illustration, and, and, and I did this during a sermon one time, and somebody was, my good friend Dave Winters was smart enough to kind of illustrate this. And he uh, he was my tech guy. He was awesome. And I miss that guy. But uh, the illustration was leaving your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, like a sack, you know. Some folks are just so stooped over. They're so, they're so bent over from all the weight of their day, their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, the things they struggle with. And I say, take it to the cross, brother. Sister, take it to the cross. Cross, lay it at the foot of the cross. Everything was handled at the foot of the cross. You don't need to carry that anymore. But you know, I'm just as guilty. I go to the foot of the cross and I say, here, let me go ahead and put my burdens down. Let me put my sack down. And it's a big old sack, I'm here to tell you. Some of you have big sacks of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I say, put it, put it down, leave it there. But I'm, I'm, I'm one of the most guilty. I start to take a few steps away. I said, well, let me go back and get this right here because I'm so used to carrying that. I might walk a little lopsided. I need to have that because I'm used to that. We're like a hoarder of our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You ever, you ever deal with a hoarder? Any folks in here ever deal with a hoarder? Now, don't even look at me and talk about I'm a hoarder. 
That's not right. Books and guns, amen? Books and guns, that's not hoarding. That's prepping. But you know, any of you that know somebody that's a true on hoarder that has this disorder of hoarding, uh, I have friends that that they're they they either their parents or or someone they know real well they have to deal with are hoarders. And you know, you try to clean out, and they're like, "No, you can't take that." And it and it might be cereal liners. You know, the liners that cereal comes in the box. I'm not talking about the box. I'm talking about the liner. I'm going to use that. I'm going to pack stuff in that. You all know how big those things are, right? Save them up. Flatten them out. You don't. You just never know. Don't take those out of here. Shoes that haven't fit you in about 15 years, clothes that haven't fit you, you're never going to get back in them clothes. Just hang on to them. We hang on to it. We hang on to our, our sack of hurts, habits, and hang-ups too, don't we? Maybe you did something really, really wrong. I'm, I'm most guilty of this. I'll, I'll confess to you. I'm most guilty of this. I messed up bad at some point in my life. Unfortunately, not just one point. But, you know, you just can't let go of it, can you? Can't let go of it. You keep going back to that and remembering and saying, maybe you were hurt. Maybe some, some of you in here were hurt by somebody. And it's hard for you to let it go because you trusted them. You laid yourself bare and you said, man, I, I trust you with everything. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be raw and real, uncensored, unrestrained. This is who I am. And they hurt you. And they can say they're sorry 100,000 times. They can be serious. But you go back and you pick up that hurt because you don't want to trust again. That's a hurt habit or hang-up, just like any other, just like addiction, just like anger, just like sorrow, just like fear, all hurts, habits, and hang-ups. How many of you know somebody's just mad all the time? You know, I, I would tell you I see a lot of bobbing heads. You know, folks that are mad all the time, I'm going to tell you, they're mad because they're tired of carrying that sack of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. They've got to let that down. You've got to put it down. At some point or another, you've got to put that down. You can't walk around carrying a big old sack on your back. It'll about bend you over. Here's seven things which tell the Father tells us to cast upon him. He tells us to commit to him. And I'm going to go through this quickly. I won't wear you out. He tells us to commit to him to handle as he promised he would. This is number one. Commit yourself unto him. Commit yourself under him. This is number one of seven. He is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Another way of putting it, um, which, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known nor why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own. But I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me of weary ways or golden days before His face I see. I know not when my Lord may come, at night or noon day fair, nor if I walk the veil with Him or meet Him in the air. That's what that song comes from, from that passage in Scripture. 
The Apostle Shaul, or as many of you may know him, Paul, the Apostle Paul, deposited himself in the very capable hands of the heavenly banker. And as the money in the vaults of banks all across the world is kept safe in the strong rooms deep within the bank, and there's probably a guard outside keeping an eye on things, so was the apostle. So was the apostle, for he was kept safe by the Holy Spirit within and by the Lord who encamped around him. I'm telling you, this is number one. Write this down. Commit yourself unto him. Trust him. Commit your, Turn yourself over to him. Trust him. He's worthy. He's the best guard of your heart you'll ever find. Some of us are so fearful of being hurt, aren't we, that we never entrust our heart to anyone. We say nobody, nobody at all will ever treat my heart like Jesus. The sad part of the fact is, it's true. We hear on this side of the veil, we can hurt each other, can't we? We can sure hurt each other. And boy, we figure out real quick what that thing is, that button, and we press them. Sometimes we put the button on the ground, we jump up and down on it. Some folks push people just to see, are you going to stop loving me? How many of you in here have ever been afraid that someone you dearly loved was going to stop loving you? A lot of you have experienced that, the pain and the sorrow of believing that you were no longer loved. But you know what? The Father doesn't stop loving us. He loves us more and more. Here's number two. Commit your soul unto him. Wherefore, let them suffer according to the will of God, keeping, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, that's First Peter 4.19. I'm going to read it in a little different translation. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Look, you can entrust yourself to someone who you haven't committed your soul to him. This word soul, this is interesting to me. In the Hebrew worldview, most of you know I, I love studying Scripture and, and uh, the people of the land and the people of the book uh, from, a, from a Hebrew worldview. That's just important to me, a very important thing. By the way, at this point, I want to give a shout-out to Jerry and Wes and Charlotte and so many of the others who are over in Israel right now. I call that the homeland. They're over there right now walking where – well, right now they're probably – getting ready to go to sleep, but um, although Wes is still texting away and and Facebook posting, and I'm thinking, aren't you in Israel? But he's loving it. He's loving it. He's really enjoying it. He's like a kid in a candy store. If they did the tour on motorcycles, he'd be even happier, wouldn't he? But you know, Hebrew worldview, and Hebrew worldview, uh, Jews, observant Jews, they don't have a soul. The suffering we shall have. We shall have suffering. Listen, folks, one of the biggest lies you'll ever tell yourself is that you won't ever suffer in this world. You won't ever suffer pain. You're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. The Father tells us that. He says, because you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated because of me. But suffering will have it. But if we commit the keeping of our souls... As those three Hebrew young men did, we shall, like them, slice loose our bonds and gain the company of Yeshua. Commit your spirit. This is number three if you're writing them down. Commit your spirit unto him. Psalm 31.5, into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. If the Lord has control of your spirit, he will control you altogether. 
if we give the Father, if we commit to him our spirit, then he handles all the rest. Boy, if you give him your soul and you give him your spirit, he'll handle the rest. We yield or we submit our spirit to God or we reject God. There is no, I'm half in. There are no fences. You can't be on one side of the fence and on the other side of the fence. You can't do it. You just can't do it. You have to commit your spirit unto him. You have to commit your soul unto him. One or the other. You either are or you're rejecting God. Here's number four. We're moving really quick now. Commit your way unto him. Your way unto him. Psalm 37, 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. If we commit our way unto him, we shall never stray from him. You know, this this strikes people very strange, but I'm going to tell you the secret here. Your way is how you live. Your way is how you think. Your way is how you live your life. Your way is what other people see. They can hear the words spilling out of your mouth, but a lot of times if, you're, if your way doesn't match your words, all the people are going to hear is blah, 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 right? They're going to, it's the Charlie Brown school teacher, womp, 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 right? That's what they're going to hear. They, they believe what they see. So number four, commit your way unto him, and you'll never stray from him. Number five, commit your works unto him. Well, works don't matter, right? We don't need to do anything. We're Christians. We're postmodern evangelical Christians. I'm not, but if you are, that's okay. Commit your works unto him. But, you know, that's a capital W because what we do for the Father is for him. It is a gift for him as a sign of our obedience. Proverbs 16.3 in the ESV goes this way. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. If the Lord controls the works and the workers, there will be no clashing in the working. Have you ever been in a workplace and you were the only Christian, the only follower of the way there, and it was an inhospitable place? We've talked before about your place of business and sometimes the, you know, the clashing. But you know, when everybody's on the same page and everybody's committed their work, it's just like a great team. How many saw the Olympic uh, swimmers, the men and the women, just crushed it? Michael Phelps, again, just crushed it. Uh, un- unbelievable. And they worked as a team. And the women's eight and the, uh, uh, the rowers, the women's eight, just crushed everybody. They worked as a team. You can't do a great job unless you work as a team. If you work against each other, guess what? You're not going to go far. You're not going to accomplish much. There's going to be a lot of clashing among the working. But if you commit your work to the Lord, you say, Father, what would you have me to do? And then do it. Always mindful that God gave you that task to do. Here's number six. Boy, we're just flying right along, aren't we? We'll finish in minutes. Commit your burden unto him. Psalm 55:22 in the ESV. Man, I love this passage. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. If the Lord is our burden bearer, we shall be free burdens. You say, look, I don't want to be free to bear a bunch of other people's burdens. If you tell me I'm free, that means I don't have to bear anybody's burdens. But listen, if we cast our cares, if we cast our burdens onto the Lord, we can do what he brought us here to do, which is bless one another, to find those who need him and be him 
for him. But if we're so bound up by our own hurts, habits, and hang-ups, if we're so tight in our life, we can't rejoice. We can't say, Father, you gave me better than I ever asked for. Well, we can't say, Father, it is tough right now, but I know that I've committed my soul and my spirit and my way to you. And I know in whom I've believed, and I know that you're able. Boy, we walk around not believing God. That makes things hard. It makes us with a furrowed brow. It makes us with a, a, a frowny, resty. I'll give I'll tell you right now, it gives you wrinkles. Women are motivated by that, man. You tell them to get, you'll get wrinkles. Looking like that, you'll get wrinkles. They run off and get the Botox. The Botox won't stop those kind of wrinkles. But it says here, this is a promise. Commit your burden unto him. Cast your burden. Cast is, listen, do you understand cast is not just edge up, edge up, edge up, drop a little bit like you got a little hole in your pants pocket, right? You got all your burdens in your pants pocket. You got a little hole. A little bit is dripping out. It's just dripping out. No. No, he says grab a hold of them and cast them. Throw them. Throw them. Jonah wasn't kind of nudged into the sea. Jonah was thrown. He was cast into the sea. They took him physically and they threw him into the sea. We've got to throw our burdens away. Cast them away. Reject the burden and embrace the Father. Because it says he'll never permit the righteous to be moved. If the Lord is our burden bearer, we shall be free to bear one another's burdens. How would it be if that person in your life that has such a need How would it be if you were so free from your burdens that you could look around you and you could see that person who's been around you all this time and suddenly you realize they've got that furrowed brow. They've got that sad resting face, that that stressed resting face. How would it be? Well, I'll tell you what. um, I'm just going to say this. It's not really related, but it is. Those of you who have experienced a serious injury or or serious major illness, death in your family, long-term illness, sometimes one of the best things you can ever do, people love to call up, and and some folks just do it to get information. They're just nosy bodies. But if somebody calls you up and says, hey, listen, I'd like to come over there and run the sweeper in your house. Come over there. Your floors are probably very clean, I know, but I'm, I'm let me come over there and, and run the sweeper. How about I do some laundry for you? Do you have a, laundry, do you have a, a grocery list? How about I go get your groceries for you? How about I do that for you? Boy, if you're muddled with your own burdens and you can't half get out of your way, you never see that. You never see that as an opportunity. You know, I'm going to confess something. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. There's a little baby boy that spent from July, from October of last year to July in the hospital in my neighborhood, spitting distance, if you're a good spitter, spitting distance from my house. And, you know, I I never saw a baby. I never saw them bring a baby in. I never saw any of that. I I missed it all somehow or another. I just, they were in, they were out, busy folks. And then all of a sudden, a few weeks ago, I start seeing an ambulance at at these folks' house. And I didn't really know them very well. Francis and Christy and baby, baby Jack. Well, Jack was born at 26 weeks. And I'm telling you, that, that child was in the hands of God in the form of nurses and doctors from October of last year until July when the baby came home. And, you know, I kept seeing this ambulance there, and I thought to myself, my goodness, that's terrible. And then all of a sudden I started noticing 
nurses coming up with oxygen during the day, be two nurses coming up, and they would be carrying an ox, and then oxygen bottles would be delivered, and all this medical equipment. I thought, oh, maybe there's an elderly person in there. I don't know. Gosh, I hope something bad didn't happen, because you know when my crash happened, the person that was on this side of me, the person that was on the other side of me, they didn't know a thing. They didn't say a thing. Well, the one on the one side called the police on me because I didn't get my grass cut. I was busy recovering from a brain injury, but that's how she helped us. But, you know, I I watched all these things happen, and I started to get curious. I said, it just something struck me in the spirit. I said, Father, there's something serious going on here. And I remember one day the person walked out of the house, and uh, the lady, Christy, and I said, uh, I don't want to be weird or anything, but I've seen ambulances at your house. Is everything okay? And she says, yeah, it's going to be tough right now, but our little baby Jack has had a tough time. He just came home in July from the hospital. He'd been in the hospital from October to July, and we had a lot of problems. He was very, very premature. At 26 weeks, that's very, very premature. And she said he was doing well, and he got home, and he didn't thrive, and then we had some real problems, and it was real scary. And so they had to come a few times and take him, and but he's home now, and we're hoping that he can stay at home. We're hoping soon he can be out running around with these other kids playing. And I said, listen, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. And and I don't know if these people are people of faith or not, but, boy, that touched them. That touched them. I'm going to take that one step further, and I'm going to continue praying for them. My mother, pillar of faith, pillar of faith, strong, strong woman. She's in the final time of her life here. And I went to see her. I told you all about that already. I went to see her. And right right before I was getting ready to leave, I'm going to go see her again a couple times this week. And right before I was getting ready to leave, we talked about everything. You name it, we talked about it. But then I said, Mom, I'd like to pray with you before I leave. Not that my prayers are anything special. She slapped her segs. Oh, I was hoping you'd say that. And we prayed together. Cast your burden on the Lord. Sometimes you need help to throw the burden off of you. Be attentive to that. When someone is reaching out to you and they need help, they've got a burden. They've got a hurt habit or hang-up. They come to you and say, man, I need help to cast this burden. I can't cast it by myself. I keep trying to cast it, and it keeps landing right back on my foot. I can't get it far enough away. Be sensitive to that. Be in your spirit. If your spirit is your is committed, if your way is committed You'll be sensitive to it. You'll be discerning, and you'll be bold, and you'll act with humility. We shall be free to bear one another's burdens. I'm going to tell you something. That is an honor. That is an honor. Don't ever feel, oh, goodness, I might have lost everybody here. Don't ever feel as though you are, sorry about that, folks, if you missed a Missed any sort of uh, blip there, a little computer blip. Don't ever feel as though somehow or another, just somehow or another, it's a burden for you to bear another person's burdens. You know, you can't carry everybody's burdens. We're not called to do that. We're not called to do that. But if we're all committing our spirit and we've committed our burden and we've committed our way, if we're all working together for that, wouldn't that be something? Imagine how life would be. Here's number seven. Been waiting all night for this. Commit your care unto him. First Peter five seven. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Oh my lambs. 
He cares for you. Do you understand that? Do you know that? He cares for you. What a privilege. We forget all too quickly what a privilege it is to have the Heavenly Father care for us. Boy, there's no better person in the world, there's no better entity in the world to care for us than the Father. He is the one, capital O, that can fix it all. There's a martyr uh, in Fox's Books of Martyrs. I read through that all the time. And ironically, there's a martyr by the name of John Careless. kid you not. The friend said this. Um, he, wrote, he, he was imprisoned for uh, preaching the gospel. He wrote a letter to a friend, and this is, what the, uh, this is what the letter read. Now my soul is turned to her old rest again and has taken a sweet nap in Christ's lap. I have cast my care upon the Lord who careth for me and will be careless according to my name. If we cast all of his care, all of our cares upon him, he will take care of us. All of it, every bit. He always has. He always will. He takes us as we are. Just as the old but good hymn goes, just as I am. Without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict and many a doubt, fightings and fears within and without, O Lamb of God, I come, just as I am, poor, wretched, and blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come, just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, Cleanse and relieve, because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us 
in this fight.